listening to The Atomic Geeks, a podcast covering movies, TV, comic books, video games, and everything in between. So geeky. Oh, hello there, and welcome back to another episode of The Atomic Geeks Podcast. My name is Michael DiGiovanni. You're listening to episode 73. I believe that is the silver anniversary in some cultures. Uh, I'm in Toronto, and for tonight's podcast, I'm podcasting under the influence because I'm drinking a Wizen Edelweiss. So let's see what other jerk stores we've got around the table here. Idolvice, Idolvice. Oh, hello, Internet. It's your pal Christian from the town of Oakville in my basement, and I'm holding a cold can of Keystone Light. Keystone Light, always smooth and great for throwing at old people. <laughs> Keystone. <laughs> Keystone Light. Well, hello, everyone. It's Andrew Bloom. I'm calling in from London as usual. And tonight I'm drinking a tall, light blue can of Bertold Keller. Tastes really good, but the can tastes really tinny. Drink it in a glass. I actually like that Keller, though, but you're right. It's, it's good. Quite, it's, it's quite tinny, it, tinny it's, time. You're, it's tinny time, that's for sure. It's got it, the hint of almonds, right? <laughs> you know, and, and this would be the point where Mike Downs would tell one of us to shut the fuck up and so he could introduce himself. But alas, Mr. Downs has packed up his family in the stagecoach, and they're heading across the frontier, moving back to Toronto area, Ontario. So he is not going. Un, he is unable to join us this week. So we had to look out and find our faithful and our always reliable guest host, Mark Dury. Say hello, Mark. Hello, everybody. I'm uh, I'm drinking mostly uh, melted ice cubes down in my basement because it is hot here in Toronto. <laughs> it, it, that is correct sir let me tell you it is a fucking heat wave like this is rare i mean it's i, I hate my it my igloo melted entirely yes <laughs> i haven't been able to ice fish in weeks <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't even the, i can't even moose hunt because you know all the snow was blown away i can't see their tracks for crazy sakes. <laughs> the sled dogs are plenty upset <laughs> i'm not i'm not used to having only three layers on <laughs> My wife hasn't showed so much neck in, in a long time. <laughs> oh, Canada. Oh, Canada. So you're not drinking tonight, Mark? There's probably some caffeine-free Diet Pepsi left there. As, you know, as usual, I, my, I have my wife to thank. She just, uh, if there's a cold one in that fridge on a hot day like today, it is not going to last. The, the pregnant lush goes for it. <laughs> she goes to town. That's right. Mark, where's that? Where, what happened to that box of wine? <laughs> she, she drinks more the more pregnant she gets. Well, I can only put one in at a time now, just to make sure she doesn't go over. Well, she is drinking for two. Remember, let's be honest. <laughs> All right, guys. Before so, before we get into tonight's super fabulous topic, let's see if anyone has any geek news. <sighs> geek news. Well, that's that's right, fellas. Geek news. Who's got some? Uh, I do, fella. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Finally, I have something to say. <laughs> that never mind. Um, <laughs> Did you say uh, that every to, every time you have geek news? But you've been doing it for the last <laughs> while now. You're actually I a have, geek news I, guy. I, I, I write this down, and I that's all I know to say. If I don't write it down, I have nothing else to say. So yeah. I 
I wrote this weeks ago, and I keep saying the same thing over and over again. Here's my Let him have his moment. You're just copying and pasting the news each week, aren't you? Every week. But you have the same intro. And this well. week, for May 23rd, <laughs> what? After buying a pair of bell bottoms, I would... <laughs> Okay. Roy Scheider cast in Jaws. <laughs> Shark um, apparently robot. Jeez. <laughs> uh, as 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 many of you may or may not know, MGM, the movie studio, has been suffering as of late. Not really making a lot of money. Kind of looking to save a little cash on the side. Uh, one of the ways apparently they're going to do this is they're pulling the plug on 007. That's right. The next James Bond film that ever, that some people I'm sure we're looking forward to has been axed. What does this mean for all of us? Probably never going to see Daniel Craig in the tuxedo again. Wow. Now, really? I don't know about you guys, but I kind of like Daniel Craig as 007. Now, the last movie was a bit of a stinker, but it's kind of sad that that's how it's going to leave us. Wow. So, th- okay. So it, I know that MGM has been in a, like a shitstorm recently because they're they're the ones that have been fucking up the Hobbit film as well. So they're they're pulling the plug on the franchise, or will another studio get their hands on the on well, the? Well, on, right now that's only speculation. Like right now, according to Ain't It Cool News, they believe that Bond is done, and Bond is done from MGM, who's been doing Bond for how many years now? At least two. Now, the uh, so they're they're basically done with it. I am sure that someday. Some other studio is going to pick up <laughs> yeah. James Bond. Yeah, like there's all these movie studios going to go like, that James Bond does it make any money? You know, like who's not going to pick that fucking thing up? Yeah. For yeah, but yeah. I'm sure it's all tied up in some sort of rights thing, right? MGM's not going to just go, well, you can have it. Well, they'll sell it, you know, to ease their yeah. burden of bankruptcy. Most likely. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I think uh, rumors like that, I, I kind of put in the same category as the, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Peter Jackson not being able to do Lord of the Rings or The well, Hobbit. It's funny because in the uh, in the same article I was reading, there's talks that a lot of people are speculating now that The Hobbit might get axed because of all the problems they've been having with it and just simply how much financial trouble MGM is in. Now, I imagine that somebody's going to want to pick that one up, but it would just be sad to have to sit and wait even longer for The Hobbit. Well, and th- this is your point, Andrew, that... Eventually, yes, someone, some other studio will pick up the reins of, uh, the Bond films, but the length of time that that will take, you could be years and years yeah. away. And from, very likely. We could, we could be seeing Shia LaBeouf as yeah. James Bond. Or Jay Baruchel, potentially. Like, you <laughs> know, it's <laughs> baby right now. Oh, yeah, or one of the Olsen twins' children. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's fairly safe to say, though, that Daniel Craig probably won't don the suit again. Wow. You know, actually, uh, Andrew, I'd heard about this news, and there was a really funny tweet on uh, Twitter about this that someone said, MGM is the studio that got Marmaduke on the screen recently, <laughs> but yet they're fucking up the Hobbit and the Bond franchise. Like, is that not unbelievable? Somehow Marmaduke squeezed in and got released. But let's, yeah, you know, you know, let's axe fucking the 30, 40 year fucking legacy of the Bond films. Well, you know, well, these studios have to make art pictures, too. And, you know, there's room for Marmaduke. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it leaves no question why they're having financial troubles when they're putting out things like Marmaduke. <laughs> well, and how much does it cost to keep that friggin lion around? In their logo. I mean, the thing's like a hundred years old. It's mostly robot now. 
<laughs> More machine than man. I, I'm still dealing with the fact that Marmaduke has an art film, you know? Hey, Marmaduke, why is there life? The question is, why isn't there life? Ich bin ein Berliner. That's right. Marmaduke spoke German. Maza, yeah, I love you and my bones. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a black and white film with subtitles, is it not? <laughs> That's right. Marmaduke's always smoking. <laughs> 45-minute long sex scene as well in that. Yeah. I know I've been licking him himself. himself. With himself just licking. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's like a rumble fish. There's only like one thing in color in the whole movie. <laughs> oh. Oh. Hey, you made your own assumption, you dirty bastards. <laughs> Jesus. Well, let's see. that's an interesting uh, piece of news. We'll have to follow that one. Um, does anyone else have any geek news before we get to the topic? Uh, I have some geek news. Uh, open, open up, I guess this, this, this is past weekend, uh, according to our podcast time. Uh, the Last Airbender, I guess a movie that freaking children all across uh, the world have been waiting to see. The live and, and live action opened this uh, weekend. I think it was number two at the box office. But uh, needless to say... It's a big piece of shit, apparently, according to every single critic on the entire planet. Basically, this movie's been killed in reviews. Toma- the Rotten Tomatoes gives it uh, 8%. So basically, oh, that means among amongst top critics, nine of them thought, hey, this isn't a bad movie. And 106 said, yeah. So they think it's worse than, like, Furry Vengeance. I guess, yeah. Actually, that's a good. I should have found some comparison movies, but boy, oh boy, this thing's getting killed. Harry Knowles has been tweeting about this because he hadn't seen uh, the actual animated version, and now he's seen it and this movie, and he can't believe what a fucking clusterfuck it was. Ebert said it was like soulless, ripped it apart. Yeah, I was, I was actually kind of looking forward to that movie. I think a lot of people were too, Bloom, and I know there's a built-in audience of, you know, kids, as Christian said, because of the, uh, this is that a Nickelodeon show or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, I mean, because it opened at, like, I believe, like $70 million, I think we're going to probably see a significant uh, drop next week, but you're uh, you're right, I, I, would, I would assume 8% on Rotten Tomatoes has got to make it one of the worst-reviewed films in recent memory, I mean. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Van Helsing did better than that. Thank God, yes. 9%. But you know what's unbelievable is uh, the just the tailspin that M. Night Shyamalan's career has taken. I mean, this was a big departure for him. I mean, not a big departure, but pretty much. He was adapting other material. He was going in sort of a big budget, you know, CGI, sci-fi, fantasy sort of uh, arena. And it looks like it, you know, was did not work out for the guy. Well, and it had ILM doing the effects, and I haven't read a lot of criticism about that. It's everything I've I've heard that's that's bad about it is comes down to the directing. Yeah, I mean, I've heard I've heard uh, the action scenes are okay. Like one of the main reasons I said that possibly that the 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 the, the, the actual final product seems so awful is because he, I think he was forced to do it in three D apparently, and I guess he wasn't too familiar with that process either. Yeah, I'd heard that as well. That they said if you're actually going to sit through it, it's it's recommended that you go see it in 2D, as we're having to call that. So bad. Now. Every every camera angle so close to everyone's face. Uh, <laughs> listen, Airbender. Well, oh God. It's like the close talker from Seinfeld. <laughs> 
it's so funny now eh, that all these directors now are immediately aging themselves and like they're only like 30 or 40 and they're like i just don't know how to do this 3d thing i don't get it like but uh yeah you know i, I now i'm a little curious to see it because i'm i agree with andrew when i saw the you know, the early trailers and footage of it, I was like, I could probably see this, you know, got, you know, these warring factions of elementals wanting to, you know, to battle. Cause I know nothing about the cartoon. I was like, that looks pretty fucking yeah. good. Mm-hmm. I love fire. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Fire. I, I love to watch. And the controlling of the elements has always been a hobby of mine. <laughs> My doctor says I can't touch fire anymore. <laughs> but I think I'm more interested now in actually seeing this the animated version of this thing, or the, like I guess what the source material is, because apparently this is like this lasted for like three seasons, sixty one episodes. It's yes. it's aimed for a twelve year old. So well, doesn't it seem like uh, <laughs> like it, it, thinking about other movies that are coming out, like Inception? It's getting like universally loved by everybody, and it seems like other movies that are coming out just getting. So pan that you're, it's just like this love or hate. You don't have these, eh, not bad movie. I'll give it 60% or whatever. It's just like, it's totally awesome. Or it's the worst movie I've ever seen. Uh, Toy Story 3 got like 99%, I think, on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, it's just exactly kind of proves what you're saying there, Andrew. I think it was, it only got attention, uh, because there were two critics that actually gave it bad reviews and everyone jumped all over them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and tied them to a stake and Burn them to death. We got them. Well, you know what? I will say it's interesting, Andrew, that you brought that up, this sort of polarizing, like, love it or hate it sort of mood. The summer uh, 2010 of films has been a little lackluster because as far as I'm concerned, uh, Toy Story 3, if you haven't seen it, it's a it's definitely good. Iron Man 2 was good, not great, but I will find it's not as memorable as I'm looking back now. But it has been, there hasn't been anything to kind of kick you in the balls and go, holy crap, is that amazing? Like, I'm kind of holding out for, as was said, Inception and Scott Pilgrim. I'm kind of hoping that those are the films that are going to save the summer because Airbender has certainly not helped. That what is, about the, the sparkly vampire movie? Uh, don't even get us started on Twilight. <laughs> now, of course, we all have to see it because they made us watch, watch the first two. Yeah, and the cast has been signed, like, 20, given $25 million to do the next two, apparently, as well. I'm sure Downs has seen it, at least. <laughs> well, actually, that's where he is tonight, in fact. That's right. Yeah, he couldn't Never. make it. Because, Guys, I can. I got to do this. He's, putting, he's rubbing sparkly Vaseline all over his chest. <laughs> That's right. Making himself look all dreamy. <laughs> well, I'm going to take that perfect segue of, you know, sparkly Vaseline and move us into our topic tonight. What? Okay, so getting into tonight's topic, uh, where this was born was basically, you know, I'd heard about the release of Get Him to the Greek, uh, one of the comedies that was released this summer. Uh, and Russell Brand is actually playing the same character that he did in the movie Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Not some people probably didn't know that they weren't really advertising for the film in that way. But you know, at this film, uh, Get Him to the Greek is not a prequel. It is not a sequel. It is what we would call a spinoff, or as uh, you know, as I'd seen online, what it's been coined as is a caraquel, where you actually take a character from a film. Uh, you know, maybe a minor or supporting character and kind of place them in their own movie and build a, a film around them. This has been done to quite a popular effect on television and been done in other films. But this really got me thinking. I was like, 
you know, they make a movie about the Russell Brand rock star character. What other characters deserve to get their own spinoffs? So that's what the Atomic Geeks are going to chew on tonight. You know, and as I said off the top, there, this, this is not, uh, you know, Get Him to the Greek is not the first time that Hollywood has employed the, uh, the spinoff. It's been done a few times, uh, you know, so I'll just kind of give you guys before we get into it, just a couple of examples where they've done this before. First off is Evan Almighty. This is the Steve Carell film where he reprised his small role from Bruce Almighty. A sort of a sequel, but obviously no Jim Carrey, and it's spotlighting on Steve Carell's character. The film Electra was a spinoff as Jennifer Garner played the terrible incarnation of Electra that was in the garbage Daredevil film. Uh, the an- another uh, a spinoff film is the Scorpion King, starring Dwayne the Rock Johnson, and that was uh, a spinoff. Truly a spinoff from uh, Mummy Returns, because I think uh, Dwayne Johnson was in that movie for about three minutes. Uh, a couple other ones, the U.S. Marshals, which is the Tommy Lee Jones, Sam Gerard character from The Fugitive, and spun off in his own movie as he's chasing Wesley Snipes' ass. And uh, also, National Lampoon's The Rise of Taj, that's... Cal Penn's character from the Van Wilder films. I think that one might have been direct to DVD. And finally, we'd have to consider Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back, a spinoff film, as those characters appeared in First Clerks, but pretty much every other of uh, Kevin Smith's films until they got their own movie. So, yes, there ha- this has been done before, and a lot of those films that I'm actually mentioning, they all have something in common. They're quite bad but maybe they're not focusing on the right characters. So tonight, the Atomic Geeks, we're going to figure out maybe some better characters that should be focused on. So let's start with, uh, let's start, you know, with our guest. Let's hand the baton over to Mark Dury. Mark, you got a character that you think demands a spin? Yes, yes, I do. I think I have the best one. <laughs> and <laughs> after this, we can just wrap this up and move on to Atomic Picks. Okay. <laughs> uh, goodbye. Well, this is a character from one of my favorite movies, and there's a line he says in it that basically it, it sums up everything we're talking about here. Better not be from Serenity, for Christ's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> so, why don't I pass off the bloom now? <laughs> no, okay, seriously. Uh, Jules Winfield from Pulp Fiction. His quote, I'll just walk the earth. Vincent Vega, John Travolta says, what you mean, walk the earth? Jules Winfield, you know, walk the earth, meet people, get into adventures, like Kane from Kung Fu. Right there is the pitch, right in the diner scene in Pulp Fiction. I would love to see badass motherfucker Jules Winfield wandering around the countryside helping people. Or fucking people up. Fucking people up. Getting getting into adventures. That's, That's- an that's an excellent choice, and I, 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 and I say that you'll find out later why even that's even more excellent. But anyway, that's awesome idea. I think that's, I, I think that's perfect. He, that is a great idea. The, yeah, I think Sam Jackson's character from Pulp Fiction, first of all, just the fucking role that put him on the goddamn map, so he could be in every single fucking movie since. Uh, he but, really is, yeah. But that there is so much 
uh, more they could do with Jules. I think that that's a character that could carry his own film, and it's just and there, I think there's quite a bit to that character that you could flesh out, and I think it would make a great movie. That's for sure. Oh, I mean, think of the Bible quotes. This guy, I mean, they're made up, of course, but just that wig could carry that a show like that <laughs> or a movie. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, I'd rather see that than an A-team movie. Yeah, I mean, it's no, and obviously, Dura, you saying that if you had your wish list, obviously we want Quentin Tarantino to explore this, right? Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Or yeah. I mean, or we could pass it off to Brett Ratner, one of the two. <laughs> if he's available. Yeah. Well, I could totally see that movie essentially, basically, him kind of like trying not to be like he was, but eventually getting in a situation where you know, t- you know, pretty stereotypical, where he, he has to go back to the way he used to be, so to speak, to get things taken care of, whatever that situation is, saving like a farm or you know, that's right, helping out an orphanage saving or something like that. Well, yeah. See, I wasn't sure if if I should be thinking of a, a film. Or if it's like just a, like a spinoff, like a, almost like a weekly TV series. Of course, Sam Jackson wouldn't be doing that. But but if you did a weekly thing, yeah, of course, every week he gets he gets dragged back to his old ways, and everything gets solved with violence because that's just you know that's how right. Jules done his things, right? And then but, the end is basically him walking down the highway with like the sun slowly going down in front of him. That's right. <laughs> that's why I think though, for for the per- like we'll, we'll keep this sort of in the vein of movies. But I, I do agree. I think this. I I kind of think there's a subtle loose sort of unforgiveness to this uh to the jewels film where he would be trying oh so hard how he'd be trying to go straight but he'd get pulled in you know and eventually have to become the stone cold killer again yeah either that or he just sets up a bar in the bahamas (laughs) could you imagine it's like this wacky comedy him with that wig and he's got like a hawaiian shirt on it's cocktail three and he's just (laughs) trying to flip trying to flip bottles and everything Can I have another bad motherfucker, please? Extra ice? (laughs) Coming right up. (laughs) He's got to teach like a new young bartender that's working at the resort played by Zac Efron, the ropes. Yeah, showing him how to do foot massages. (laughs) (laughs) No, I do. It's interesting because when I I did some, uh, you know, I looked online, I did some research as a good host does. A lot of people wish for a, uh, you know, a Jules film as well. I think that's a... A great choice, but it's also another a thing that a lot of Pulp Fiction slash Tarantino fans would want. Uh, you know what I mean? He's probably one of the most rich characters from Pulp Fiction that could that you really could support. That could support a, a film. He's calling you uninventive. No, no, <laughs> you stole that. Well, I thought of it on my own. You, you should, you should ask me. You should ask me for my character next. Christian, why don't you take that segue and tell us your character? Oh, who? Your character's going to be? Who, me? Oh, well, I have to have a character. Uh, Much like Mark Dury, because we are both of like mind, genius level, of course. Uh Uh, I thought, uh, I I also picked a character uh, from Pulp Fiction who wasn't exactly one of the more standout uh, roles there, but still was interesting to myself, nevertheless. And I thought it would be interesting if they made a a spin-out movie uh, of the younger years of the character Winston Wolf, because <laughs> I think if there's anything that's the most interesting about this, uh, you know, the Pulp Fiction uh, movies and the Reservoir Dogs and so on, and so on, there is like a universe that they've created that they they allude to but have never really explored. And I think you know by kind of going back, because there's one thing, the Vega Brothers, I think, is one of the areas that we still don't know a heck of a lot about things like that. I think by going through Winston Wolf, we can explore those areas. Was Wolf ever in a, a separate movie or no? No. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, he's for, a spoof. He's a spoof of uh, the cleaner, though. From right. was it La Femme Nikita? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you know, like he's like the, basically the kind of the crime lord, or whatever, fix it guy. So to speak. well, the thing that I love about his character though is like he really doesn't do anything special. Like that, anybody with any common sense at all, like wouldn't instinctively know how to do. Like how yeah. to just wash your hands, get that car off the road, in the car. Like, but I think the fact is that he had blood and brains cleaned up. You know, it's pretty. But he has a very level head, though. Right. Yeah. He's very level-headed, calm, cool, and collective, and he has a, a hookup at the dump. But he's also got a process about him, right? He's quite like diligent and keeps everyone in line because he yeah. does what he thinks of intuitive things. But he gets, uh, you know, he sort of is really good at going. You guys do this, you know, like delegating sort of like responsibilities to everybody. You know, Christian, this is, for anyone that uh, doesn't know, uh, if it needs a little reminder, this is the Harvey Keitel character from Pulp mm-hmm. Fiction. Uh, this one was also on my list uh, as well, because, mm-hmm. Christian, I agree. I think, uh, where I do think Jules is an awesome choice, I think there's something really special with this character as well. I mean, this guy, to your uh, to Dury's point, is the, the cleaner, and I'm using air quotes there. Uh, there. Come on, that script writes itself, you know, yeah. like I pretty think, much I- like, him going up and basically having to clean up other fucking uh, wrong, you know, fucked up crimes and, you know, mishaps. I mean, they, th- sorry, they could just have him follow behind Jules movie right away. They just play Jules movie and then he comes in and cleans up all the shit that he left behind. <laughs> Do you remember uh, what he's doing when he initially gets the call? Like when when Winston yes. Wolf was first called? He's in that friggin dinner party, but it's like in the middle of the day. It's Isn't like I, it's early in the morning, and he's wearing a tuxedo. He's at like a dinner party. At yeah, like people in the living room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, what is going on there? But that's, that's interesting. That just makes and this makes it interesting because like you think this is a different kind of cat who's running with these really different kind of people. It's like you, it almost it almost doesn't the, the how interesting it is is more interesting than the actual like the saneness of it, so to speak. Like you don't give a shit having a party at eight a.m. They think. What kind of party are they having, and who are these people is more like the bigger question. <laughs> and that's what I think is so clever about uh, Pulp Fiction in particular, but all of Tarantino's movies, is just the stuff he doesn't tell you makes yeah. you, get, like, where you can kind of create for yourself, like even, you know, where they have Marcellus Wallace's, you know, Band-Aid on the back of his head, and it's so prominently shown in so many shots, and you're like, the fuck did he do to the back of his head? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like... He does these little things that he just kind of goes, I'm not really ever going to explain that. I'm just going to do like it. Like what's in the fucking briefcase? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that because, I mean, I had written down, and, and it's not one of my, my picks I'm going to go to, but I I, I picked uh, Butch Coolidge, like Bruce Willis's character. But it just makes mm. me think Pulp Fiction has such rich characters in it uh, that you could almost take – any character from it, and I would like to see them, even if they didn't have their own movie, if they start, they just happen to appear in another Tarantino film or something, like even the Christopher Walken character, I thought you were going to say when you started talking about it, would be fucking hilarious to see the backstory of him. I would love to see a, I would love to see a Butch uh, Coolidge movie as long as that friggin' broad wasn't in the movie you're crying out loud. Hey, Butch, could I get the pancake, please, Butch? Butch, pancakes with blueberry pancake, Butch. <laughs> oh. Are you like my uh, pot belly? Yeah. I'd love to see a gimp. Guess one. What's going on? <laughs> Two-hour gimp movie. But, Andrew, you know what the thing, that, to your point, that you're right, Pulp Fiction, there's a lot of characters that could be spun out because it was kind of neat the way that he structured that film, that it's 
it's literally almost like three short stories, but then they some of them start intersecting. You know what I mean? So you, uh, it's like they each have their own movies, but they're also supported all sort of ensemble yeah, like, supporting characters. And like you're saying, Tarantino leaves you wanting to see more of it because he doesn't tell you the whole story. He just picks it up where it is and continues with it and then drops it and stops with it where I think that's what leaves you kind of going, I want to see more about these characters or more what they were doing before the camera turned on them or what they did afterwards. Yeah. And it's also a testament to just how fucking awesome of a writer Tarantino is because these characters that he's crafted. I mean, it's, it's funny that we all pretty much pulled someone from Pulp Fiction, which is arguably his best film and what he'll be remembered for. But you know, he is, he creates fucking dynamic characters. I mean, you, we could have probably done this entire show based around what Tarantino characters should be spun off into their own fucking movies. I mean, like if you go through Kill Bill and Reservoir Dogs and the whole list, there's a shitload of them. You know what I mean? Cause he just does, like he creates these powerful, awesome characters, even if they're only in the film for like 15, 20 minutes. Oh, that's a good point. You know who I'd love to see a spin off of? Uh, was, uh, What's his name's fucking character from Kill Bill Two? Oh, why am I the brother who lived in the trailer in the friggin' desert? Well, Michael, uh, what is it? Bud? Uh, his name's Bud. Yeah. yeah, Bud. Michael Madsen sort of character. Oh, that was the one I was most interested about the most, you know, because here he is. His, his brother is this super friggin' badass crime lord, so to speak, and here he is stuck in this trailer, give, getting shit by this friggin' strip joint manager, you know. But then of course uh, the the bride comes in and he friggin' kicks the shit out of her. You know what I mean? I yeah. wonder what, like, what, what happened to him? What, what, what happened to him to make him fall from grace, so to speak? God, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, and Tarantino's never heavy-handed about that stuff, too. Like, like some directors, they really make you, like, they really just smack you around in the face uh, yeah. with with heavy-handed hints. And, and Tarantino is just, he's, he's good at just sort of leaving these little breadcrumbs out, you know, and, and let your imagination do the work for him. Yeah, he's a jerk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, before we move on to our next one, uh, you know, I was kind of set up for there because we mentioned uh, one of the things I'm going to speak about. A lot of spinoffs are, have either been long planned or in the works, and here's a list of them. You know, uh, I believe it was Christian that said, uh, you know, mentioned the Vega Brothers. That's been a long rumored uh, plan of film that Tarantino says he's going to get to one day. Uh, in addition to that, listen to this list. Uh, Puss in Boots from the Shrek films, getting their own, getting his own spinoff. Uh, the rumored Deadpool movie from uh, Wolverine, which I guess in essence is also a spinoff from the X-Men films. Uh, you know, Ryan Reynolds, not sure if that's ever going to see the light of day because uh, with him being Green Lantern. Uh, the, the, the one that's probably made the most news recently is... Les Grossman spinoff film. That's Tom Cruise's character that he is oh, yeah, really overexploiting now from Tropic Thunder. So that is in the works. Expect that in theaters soon. And then you get into which there is a huge potential. I mean, for superhero spinoffs, like I mentioned with Deadpool, there is a long list of uh, of characters that they have, have either been in, are either happening or have long been in the works. So Get a load of this. I think that it's been years since going back to fucking, uh, you know, Spider-Man, even the first Spider-Man film, that a Venom movie was going to happen. There was talk that a Magneto film 
with Ian McKellen was going to get the the X-Men Origins treatment. That still hasn't seen the light of day. As well as a Gambit spinoff movie from his horrible interpretation from that Wolverine solo film. And one that I don't think a lot of people knew, know about or and potentially not a lot of people were clamoring for, but Deacon Frost was going to get his own spinoff movie. That is Stephen Dorff's villain character from the first Blade movie. A planned trilogy was in the works for Deacon Frost, but yet still has never shown up in theaters. I like this character in that movie, though. I mean, I like that movie altogether, but as a villain, he was pretty good. He was the upstart kind of half, not a true blood vampire. I thought he was a pretty neat character. Oh, I, I, I liked it too. I mean, I just think when you look back on the, the Blade films, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Blade 2 is the superior of all of those films. So whenever I think of Blade now, I only think of that one. So I almost forget about Steven Dorff. But yeah, he's pretty, he was pretty decent as that character. He's like five feet tall. <laughs> he is. I, you know, I actually, I was at a, I was at a party a number of years ago, and Stephen Dorff was at it. Uh, and he, you're right, he was literally like four three, I think. He was so small, uh, and also some thought he was king shit. Some big guy was carrying around in his pocket. <laughs> he was like <laughs> master blaster. He just sits <laughs> on some guy's head. Did you know he's the uh, hard boiled egg eating champion of his hometown? <laughs> I, you know what, though, in all seriousness, I think he's about to have like a Travolta style comeback. He's in the new uh, Sofia Coppola movie, isn't he? What do you mean, like, what do you mean comeback? Did he ever have a come? <laughs> was he ever back? <laughs> was he ever well, here? All no? I'm saying is we may see these Deacon Frost movies yet. I don't think he's quite finished. What is Sofia Coppola's next film? Oh, I, I don't remember the name Deacon of it. Deacon Frost. Uh, takes it, Manhattan. It's another like, kind of sad, mopey, it's, it's so hard being rich and famous uh, kind of thing. I thought it was an adaptation of Good Times to the big screen. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stephen Dorff plays like an actor who is separated from his wife, but then he, he gets his, I think, teenage daughter has to kind of follow him around on a press junket. Uh, I don't know if it's through the States or around the world or something. And uh, it just sort of, it's like a father-daughter bonding experience, I think. And, and it's very sort of, you know, <laughs> yeah. And it's a kind of a mopey, sad kind of affair, from what I can tell. So it's a big departure for Sophia Coppola, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Usually the laugh-fest wackiness that she puts on the screen. Rich white yeah. people being sad. So all you bullet time fans out there, don't go to see this one. <laughs> I shouldn't say that, though, because, you know, thus far, I've liked two of the three of the films that she's done. Uh, Lost in Translation is great, and The the, the Virgin Suicides is a really good movie if no one has not seen that one. I believe that was her uh, directorial debut, and it's got some good music in it by uh, Canada's own Sloan. So uh, check that one out if you haven't seen it. That's a little. What was the third one? Fat Space Camp? Yeah, that that was uh, what what was that one again? I think it was uh, cheerleader boob town boob town. <laughs> no, she made that fucking movie with Kirsten Dunst. She made like oh, Mary Antoinette. Yeah, yeah, Mary Antoinette. But they were. Oh, I saw that. That was okay. Mm. Oh, oh, wow. So this new one is called Somewhere. Somewhere. Yeah. All right, sorry, well, that's sorry for dragging you off topic. That's no there. problem. So that's going to conclude us on our Sofia Coppola retrospect episode. Let's get into our atomic fix. 
So uh, let's move. Let's get. Uh, let's hear somebody else with another. Uh, you know, potential spinoff. Christian, do you have another one? I thought Andrew was next. Oh, Andrew, I'm sorry. Good because yeah, you... I, yeah. I, I threw in just just on the topic of of Pulp Fiction. I okay, well, Andy, in. let's hear you. Let's hear one of yours then. Okay, then I will do that. Um, one one that I picked that I would love to see another spinoff uh, of, and this character I just think is so cool is Dwight McCarthy from Sin City. That, uh, if you don't know, is played by Clive Owen. Now, he is the coolest cat in Converse I have ever seen. And this guy can jump out of a six-story building, land on his feet, and keep on running. I just, I really dug his character in that movie. I think, you know, although it might be hard to translate it to a different style of film, I think he would be a kick-ass character if he had his own movie or even if you saw him in some other movie like uh, Cheerleader Boob Town. Well... <laughs> If they continue to adapt the the Sin City trade paperbacks, it's guaranteed that he's going to return. For well, sure. I was going to say that, Christian, because you have read uh, more Sin City than probably anyone on on the show here. Does Dwight show up in other stories? Is that from what I, I recall, he comes up as a main character in the story? Like I, again, it's been so long since I've read them. He actually co- returns, and I th- I, I think he, sh- he shaves his starts, head. Or no, it starts as him as a forty year old guy with his head shaved, and then he goes through. Uh, reconstructive surgery to look like the character he looks like as Clive Owen. Oh, yes, okay. that's right. That's right. That's, that's that's the confusing part. Yeah. So yeah. there. I mean, and Sin City Two has been long rumored. Uh, I know. Uh, you know, Robert Rodriguez is working on a couple things. I actually uh, read this an interview with him today. He was talking about uh, Predators, and he was saying what he was working on next. It ain't Sin City 2. He's doing another fucking Spy Kids, if you can goddamn God believe that. you got to be kidding 34. me. Spy, kid, Spy Kids 4 Armageddon in 3D. Oh. But anyways, you know, we, we talked about uh, Sin City on this podcast before, uh, and it's a great fucking movie. And, Andrew, I, I, I have to admit, I have not seen a lot of shit that uh, Clive Owen had done before I saw Sin City, and he uh-huh. was a real standout for me in that as well. Oh, yeah. He, he was awesome in this one. And just for a quickly, uh, just an update, I just looked it up quick. Dwight MacArthur's character shows up in Sin City in four different uh, stories. Uh, mm. a, a Dame to Kill for, A Big Fat Kill, Family Values, and Hell and Back. Mm-hmm. So it, it is It is sort of, he, he, he is all over there. I would love to see it again because whatever it was, like his kind of his craziness as well, like he's not really totally with it, but he's a cool and he's an ass kicker. Like that's... I gotta watch that movie again. We've been talking about it a lot recently, and it just makes me realize how long it's been since I have seen it. Yeah, it's a great movie. I'm I'm completely in agreement with you, Christian. That I I gotta see it again. And you know something? I've never read Sin City. This is one of those Mm. uh, those series that you know, as I've been kind of trying to go back and catch up on all the fucking classics. I've never read those. So it does. My my wife has read it. Yeah. And did does she did she like it, Mark? Because I mean, yeah, I've heard she, nothing yeah, about. She great. was drunk when she read it. <laughs> yeah. she, she did like it, though. Yes. Yeah, I should trade you my freaking Cincy trades for your freaking Scott Pilgrims. Is what I should do. Deal. Uh, you got Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, we. My, my wife actually really likes that stuff. Uh, but to, for getting back to Sin City, what <laughs> of what of what books were actually translated for the first film? Was, do you do you know that offhand? Was like what was it the uh, a dame to it's, kill for? No, it's the first one, Sin City. No, I think it's two books actually that are that that make up the because uh, Bruce will Bruce Willis's character 
I think. Sh- oh, uh, the, um, the Yellow Bastard. Yeah, the Yellow Bastard and a Dame to Kill for. I think are the yeah. two books that have already been yeah. uh, done. There's a couple other ones, and there was rumor that Miller, Frank Miller, was actually going to do a another book series, a new a new edition of uh, Sin City, which would also. Uh, you know, then be translated into the sequel as well. So, Andrew, I think you're probably going to get that chance Yay. to see Dwight again. But I, I think that's also a good choice because yeah. uh, really great character and, you know, fucking great goddamn movie. Well, great mm. casting. Like, if you look at Sin City, and I've, I, 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 blah, blah. I also haven't really read a lot of Sin City. I, I've sort of flipped through it. I've read one or two stories out of it. He, the character, the drawn character of Dwight McCarthy looks just like Clive Owen. It's, it's uncanny. So I think that's, uh, kind of good casting on that. Yeah. And you know, you know, just to stay on the Sin City line here for a second, I could not, cause I mean, not that I haven't flipped through a Sin City comic book before. I got to say, Mickey work, the makeup work that they did on him, he was exactly like Marv from the fucking comic. Like it looked, he, it looked Pitch perfect. I know they did great casting on a lot of the other characters like Clive and uh, Bruce Willis, but holy shit, did they ever bring that book to life so yeah. awesomely. But uh, okay, well, that, yeah, Andrew, that's a good choice. Uh, Christian, do you, have a, do you have another one for us? Uh, yeah, I do, actually. Well, I, I better, otherwise I'm off the podcast. Uh, the movie I thought, uh, the, the characters from this movie that could spin off in their own movie, was the movie Predator. Now, I don't know if you remember the beginning of this movie, but basically uh, it's a rag, t- you know, a bunch of mercenaries. It's evident in the opening scenes of that movie. They all know each other. They're familiar with each other. They've worked together forever. They get off the helicopter and they're different civilian clothes and suit up for missions and shit like that. So there's obviously a history of this group working together. And I thought it would make a cool friggin' movie to find out what kind of shit that they did. Yeah, once you know, it's I, I'm kind of getting into predator fucking mode right now because I really want to see predators uh, that's coming out. I'm thinking that's going to be pretty fun. Uh, so I'm I'm thinking back to the original film, and that was a pretty awesome, you know, late '80s. Was that predator? Was the '80s? Wasn't it, or was it early '90s? It was like '87. Yeah, like it just was like that quintessential, just a bunch of fucking tough guy action. You know, squad. I still and, remember like the 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 handshake or whatever it is that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers do. They basically instead of like just clasping hands, they do like a uh, they arm wrestle in the air yeah. kind of with each other. But the, the, but the coolest part though that even though because like in that movie like Carl Weathers was like the CIA outside of the group kind of agent, and all these other guys were kind of like wary of him, and they're all protective of their their own guys. You better not fuck this shit up, or I'll freaking slice you from ear to ear. Things like that. That's why I thought it made the group so cool. I still remember, uh, for me, because this like this was late '80s. It was a big deal being in like as a you know a, a, a wrestling fan at the time that Jesse the Body was in a fucking movie. That to me was just like, oh my god. And I remember he got one of the greatest fucking lines that it's actually worked out to be kind of a classic line in fucking action films is when it's like, oh, well, you're bleeding, and he's like. I ain't got time to bleed like that. So <laughs> his character is one of those just quintessential cornball yet awesome 80s action films. So I think that squad, I'm going, I'm calling him a squad, Christian. I'm sorry, buddy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, 
they, they they could make an awesome movie, almost like the Expendables, like the, what they're doing now with that uh, Stallone pick. Oh, for sure. I mean, and they got the freaking stereotypical kind of like Indian dude as well, which I think is one of the coolest guys on the freaking team. You know, seeing the Invisible Predator. Where anyway, I thought well, I thought. I remember the the skinny guy who's always making like uh, jokes about his girlfriend? Yes. Yeah. Hello, hello, hello. Do you know That's that guy? I think vagina. I read he was like one of the writers or something for the movie or like he had something to do with it. And part of his contract was that he was demanding a role. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Note to self. If you write a script, say this character has to be me. He has sex with 14 (laughs) different women in this movie. (laughs) He was a guy. He wrote like a, he wrote like lethal weapon or something. And he's just just a skinny dorky guy and managed to like, get himself into this squad of like all these guys their their arms are bigger than his legs yeah you know and yet there he is you know yeah no that's a that's a pretty good uh, that's another good choice christian now would you keep it uh, with their adventures would you want it to just see kind of their past of where how they all got together or would you want them to kind of get back into that did i call it fantasy sort of out uh, like would you want them to fight another sort of otherworldly sort of thing, or do, would you want it to be more rooted in the real world? I, I, I would think it would have to be more rooted in the real world, because if they fight another frigate, well, first of all, it has to be in the past, because they're all dead. Oh, yes. But, uh, uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah, as far, as far as, I mean, and unless that's a precedence they want to set, the, as they, they kind of, like, fight mysterious, otherworldly alien predators, I don't know. I think it would be more uh, better if it was rooted in the real world, to be honest. So they're not an alien fighting squad? No. That's, that's their name. <laughs> Every other alien they fight just can't be quite as good as the alien from Predator because they all live. <laughs> uh, so before we get on to uh, another one, I actually uh, pulled uh, you know, a, a list of – these were not spinoffs, but these are same characters that appeared in different movies. So in essence, it's sort of a quasi-spinoff. Where you're getting, uh, you know, Buddy shows up in Pulp Fiction, but then appears for a scene like we were, like Andrew alluded to, which he would hope that, you know, maybe a certain character could show up in, an, in another Tarantino film. Get a load of this list of these sort of quasi spinoffs. Uh, that probably one of the most widely known amongst, uh, people our age is, you know, Michael Keaton played Ray Nicolette in both Jackie Brown and Steven Soderbergh's Out of Sight. But keep Both awesome movies for fuck's sake. Awesome fucking movies. So let's uh and here's the list. See uh if you remember a lot of these. Uh, you know, another one which happened probably one of the most famous uh, you know, uh, of one of these sort of same character cameos was Robert Downey Jr. played Tony Stark in the uh the Ed Norton uh Incredible Hulk film. That's right, yeah. Uh, the Another one which I was not aware of was Dan Aykroyd played Ray Stans from Ghostbusters in the Casper movie. What? what? Really? Yes. That's kind of funny. His Ghost- Is he allowed to do that? That's crazy. <laughs> so I guess maybe it's the same studio or something, but Ray, Ray Stans, the Ghostbuster, is in Casper. That one I was really? actually, 
Pretty surprising, actually. That that whole Casper idea is just very, very sad altogether. You know what I mean? Because this is basically a movie about a poor little, nice little boy that is dead and his soul cannot find rest. (laughs) (laughs) Or friends. (laughs) And he has evil fucking brothers or whatever the fuck they are for crying out. This poor kid can't get a break whatsoever, for Christ's sake, let alone make some fucking friends. (laughs) It sounds like a Sofia Coppola movie, really. Uh, here's a couple others. Uh, Paul Newman played Eddie Felsen in both The Hustler and The Color of Money. That's that uh, Tom Cruise, you know, uh, pool movie. Yeah. So he that's so he actually played that same character. Here's another one I didn't know. Ralph Bellamy and Don Amici played Randolph and Mortimer Duke in mm-hmm. Trading Places and. Coming to America. Yes. Yeah, I, I, knew I that. do that. We're I back. Know, I don't remember. We're back. <laughs> Here's a couple a, a couple other ones quickly. Uh, Eric Stoltz played Ethan Valher in b- uh, both of Cameron Crowe's films, Say Anything and Jerry Maguire. So he's playing the same character in that. And uh, a little uh, Pulp Fiction, which we mentioned off the top, get a load of this, what Tarantino did. uh, Esmeralda Villa Lopez, the girl cab driver from Pulp Fiction, actually appeared in the short film Curdled. Tarantino saw that movie, loved the character so much that he included her in his film. So that's actually Curdled has been released on DVD and Blu-ray now. uh, And so that she's the lead in that. And he plucked her and put her in uh, Pulp Fiction. You know, in the same in the same vein of this topic, another one I thought was uh, a spinoff was uh, what's his name, uh, Danny Trejo's character in friggin' Desperado. Like I thought that was that character was Machete in that movie, but apparently it wasn't. It was yeah. basically yeah. You get that a lot where sometimes the same actor appears kind of in multiple roles or in sequels, but they're like some people I think just assume that Bruce Campbell is playing the same character in every goddamn Spider-Man movie, but he just appears in all of them as different characters. But I think the reigning champ for playing the same character in different movies is, you guessed it, Rob Schneider. Get a load of this resume. Rob Schneider plays (laughs) Nazo the delivery man, the pizza delivery man, in both Big Daddy and Mr. Deeds, but more importantly, he plays the you can do it guy in Waterboy, <laughs> Little Nicky, Mr. Deeds, and The Longest Yard. So that might actually be the champ for the uh, same character to appear in multiple movies. You can do it. <laughs> Pretty auspicious. <laughs> so, hey, uh, Dury, do you have another character for a spinoff? Well, I do, but uh, I may have sort of uh, violated some of the rules because when I was thinking of this, I was uh, I was thinking of it a recurring TV show. Well, um, I mean, you're substituting for down, so I mean, you're basically yeah. You might as well break, break some rules. You're not you're not breaking our rhythm anyway, so go right ahead. That's right. <laughs> I'll, I'll try and pepper some uh, some swearing in here too. Um, <laughs> my character that I would love to see having a weekly, maybe just sort of half hour comedy adventure is uh, John Goodman's character from The Big Lebowski, Walter Sobchak. Oh, yeah, that's a great choice. Yeah. Now, if you if you remember the big thing, uh, sort of uh, identifying behavior with Walter, aside from his temper, is that he does not fucking roll 
on Shomer Shabbos. He he is when he married his wife Cynthia, he converted to Judaism, and even though he's divorced, he is still Jewish, and that means that he doesn't work, he doesn't drive a car, doesn't ride in a car, doesn't handle money, doesn't do anything on the Sabbath. So you could have every week just something fucks with him that that makes him have to sort of break his own rules and, and actually, you know, help out the dude or someone else. I guess it wouldn't be the dude because... <laughs> you, love all these, you love all these characters who aren't allowed to do something but get forced into doing it. He's got an ulcer. He can't eat pizza, but he works at a pizza delivery store. It, it, it's Chavez, but he has to help Jules Winfield yeah. and Winston Wolf clean up all those brains. The only yeah. way that we can solve this problem is if you eat peanuts. But I'm allergic. Eat them! <laughs> Every week, swelling up. I'm you know, running out of needles. This stuff just writes itself, I'm telling you. You know, The Big Lebowski, holy shit. I mean, I loved that movie the first time I saw it, but man, has it turned into a classic over time. Hey, that has aged really fucking well, that movie. I need to watch you know, that again. It probably, you know, shows my age that my picks are all from kind of the early 90s, but I just I haven't had as many favorite movies as I've as I've had since then. Just some of the characters in that period are just, there's just so much going on there. Yeah, you know, you actually, Dury, that is alarmingly perceptive that it's been a while, you know, outside of maybe Tarantino that we've covered where you get these just awesome characters because it's funny that every, basically the majority of the picks thus far are are not from recent movies. Or not, but when I say recent, it's not even films that have happened in the last, you know, five years. You know, yeah. you're talking about everything is, you know, 80s, 90s pictures. It's like they just kind of, you know, maybe was a better attention to character and, you know, and just the writing was better because, man, that... that there, goes that our, there goes your teen audience. Fuck. <laughs> Maybe I well don't worry I've got one of the the high school musical kids as mine up here don't worry <laughs> but no that I think that's a great choice uh, I'll move on to one of mine and this is an obscure one but I you know but hear me out uh, similar to this we're going back to the eighties late eighties again for uh, for a movie here and I'm I'm plucking from one of my favorites Die Hard and I'm taking Harry Ellis. If anyone doesn't remember him, he's the coked-up, hotshot co-worker of Holly McLean <laughs> that tries to strike a deal with the terrorists, but, but then ends up getting himself killed. Do you guys remember oh, this guy? He's so oh, yeah. smarmy, too. Like, yeah. picture him. Yeah. He's like the ultimate friggin' sales dude shooter, for crying out loud. Hey, That's how right. are you? What, what can I do to get you into this car? So sweaty. I just, I still <laughs> love that line when he like gets, he has to, he radios John McClane and he has to be like, hey, John boy has to pretend he like knows him so well and shit. And he's like, who is this? Ellis. So, but I thought of this character because he is so memorable to me because I, like, I love Die Hard, but he's one of those characters that just outside of Alan Rickman's, you know, tour de force villain in that. I loved it, that hairy guy, and I and it got me thinking. I'm like, there's something there that this guy. I'd love to see before, obviously, he died. You know, him fucking up some other buddy's plans. Like, you know, he could get into a whole bunch of where because he's sort of that cocky, self assured guy, but he really doesn't know what he's doing and sort of thing. So, like, he could. Cause that he'd be like, I got it. I got it. 
You know, I, I'm going to take care of it, but he could just you know ru- ruin shit. His character time. reminds me of uh, of uh, Bill Paxton's character from freaking True Lies. There's another character I could probably see made into a movie as well. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. pulling that spy shit again and then gets himself totally fucking involved, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> so this guy, he's just in like... 12 different hostage situations. All right. <laughs> I got this one. I never said it was a good guy. guy. <laughs> Just trying. Oh, my God. He's so fast. <laughs> so, uh, Bloom, do you got another one? Uh, I've got, I have quite a few, and there's one that, that I'll, I'll uh, I, well, I guess I'll pick this one. I kind of highlighted more than the others. Uh, I had a, a hard time picking characters at first, and then once it started going, I was like, oh, my God, there's so many. And it's funny that you say that they're from the 90s. I only have one or two picks that are newer. Uh, but the one, the one that I would love to just see, I just want to see on film again, is Everett Ulysses McGill. Now, I don't know if you can recognize the name, but that is George Clooney's character from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? <laughs> now, he's just, he's just like he's a quick-witted, fast-talking, funny guy. He's who, DJ. You know, he's, yes, he's DJ Van. <laughs> He's except, except for DJ doesn't use the, the Dapper Dan. He uses something totally different. I'm a ball I, man. That's right. I don't use pop. I'm a Dapper Dan man. <laughs> you know, Andrew, that, that, another great choice. Love that. You know, this topic is, uh, you know, if nothing else, it's reminding us of some fucking movies we got to watch again. Uh, because, you know, once, uh, and it's, you know, to no surprise, we're bringing up films by great filmmakers. You know, this yeah. is now number two. From the Cohen brothers, another one of their, you know, not definitely far, you know, I like how they kind of balance their stuff between their very serious and very sort of like gonzo nutball fucking comedies. And uh, that's what that film is. And it's one of my favorite George Clooney performances. It's oh, way sure. out there. I think the way I heard it once is that he, it's like George Clooney playing Rhett Butler on acid, I think is probably <laughs> the be- best way, description of that if you haven't seen it. Uh, gr- great, great movie. And, you know, I th- I'd love to see that character again for sure. Yeah, it, it, there's so many funny parts in it. And I don't even know, like, he's not trying to be necessarily over-the-top over the slapstick funny, but I just think of also that, that scene with John Goodman when he hits him with the tree. <laughs> he just keeps munching away. Just, yeah, and, like, that is just such an excellent movie. And that character, for whatever reason, like, it just, it, it's sort of very funny. I would love to see him, I don't know, if it would be in his own movie or if it would just be in something else because... Like he's just he, whenever he's on screen, that's all you're watching. Bloom, you I know another scene that you like in that movie is where he where he goes to fight the guy and he's like <laughs> such a bad boxer and gets punched so quick in the face. <laughs> <laughs> he's just sitting there as his uh, like fists turn up towards the sky. <laughs> Come on, see this is this is the way it's gonna go. <laughs> Fantastic movie. Yeah, great movie. You know, I, I've got another choice here, which I'm surprised we haven't gone to the well yet with. But, I, you know, I'll, I'll get it started. You know, it seems kind of obvious when you're talking about potential spinoff characters that someone on this podcast would have to pull someone from the Star Wars universe. Uh, you know, I think a popular choice would be Boba Fett. I think most, you know, fanboys and geeks uh, everywhere would love to see a Boba Fett film. Me, not so much. I think Boba Fett is a 
good character. Potentially, he could even show up in my character spinoff film, because I think the most deserving character from the Star Wars universe for a spinoff is Lando Calrissian. (laughs) Let me tell you, because when you actually think about this, if you say pre-Cloud City Lando, you could really see sort of the seedy underbelly of the Star Wars universe. I mean, if we think of this seriously, you know, I, I, I picture this like Lando would be involved in sort of like the crime lords, bounty hunters, sort of like that, you know, the those nightclubs where we only got kind of a glimpse of in, you know, A New Hope. And I think it was also Attack of the Clones where they go into those clubs and there's all those fucking cantina characters and whatnot. You know, gambling, but most of all, the ladies. Because, you know, that uh, they would just, I think this would bring a different flavor to the uh, Star Wars universe that maybe you wouldn't have seen before. And Lando wears a cape. Let's be honest. Exactly. He wears it, but but even even better, towards everything you're saying, he had the Millennium Falcon back then, too. Yeah. And it'd be cool to even see how he got it. Like, didn't he, did he win it from Han or something like that? Or. So boring. You just see him buying it from a used spaceship dealer. Here's the initial deposit, and over the different parsecs, how many the, the payments do I make here? No, no, I, do, I don't want the undercoat. No. Because <laughs> Han won it from Lando, and Lando never forgave me, thought he maybe cheated. But Lando won Cloud City in a game of Sabic. Oh. Like Here's the Star Wars game. Expanded Universe again, alert. Oh, right. yeah. Sorry. You just named the game. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> no, I think, to me, I think, you know, all jokes aside, because as awesome as Billy D. Williams' mustache and face is, the, I, I, I think Lando is kind of the right character. I know, like, people start thinking, like, oh, I'd love to see a Wedge movie, or I'd love to see a Boba Fett I don't know how much you could do with Boba Fett. I mean, as much as, yes, I love Boba Fett as a kid and, you know, still, you know, still do. It's an iconic character. I don't know how great of a movie it is. I'd love to see Boba Fett could show up in Lando's movie. But I just think Lando's got the potential to still obviously be a heroic character, but show a different side of the Star Wars universe that maybe we haven't seen before. Yes, well, the funky-ass uh, funky soul side of Star Wars. Damn right. <laughs> and he'd have Lobot with him the whole time. Exactly. That guy's... Now, talk about a cool side character. That guy never had a speaking part. He looked like, you know, Captain Picard wearing a fucking gigantic speaker phones on his head. But, like, he... That that Lobot character, everyone... I, I had that action figure. That uh, You know, uh, that's another cool character. I don't... We don't even know anything about him unless you're Dury and read all, you know, 14 of his books. But uh, the, he, he could be in this movie. I mean, you got Lobot, you got Lando in the cape, you got, you know, the Millennium Falcon, you got... Haven't you read any of my Lobot fan fiction? <laughs> you, you've got Lobot, you've got a party. Just starts, his head thing turns into speakers. Every That's time right. he's got he's just always... Yeah, because the thing is, it's just, it's just a big iPod, right? right I just... <laughs> no, he just opens his mouth and the sound comes out from there. <laughs> Do you believe in life after love? <laughs> <laughs> but they have those, also as well, disco lights come out. Like... <laughs> All right, guys. So would that would that would he dance the human then? <laughs> <laughs> He's doing the human. Look at him go. All right, guys. So uh, before we move on to you know some 
of the worst potential spinoffs. I thought I'd, uh, you know, another last piece of it, uh, information here. You know, uh, I, I wanted to t- uh, let you guys know the character who, according to most websites, when they actually covered this sort of information on spinoffs, you know, I, I look, you know, this includes websites like totalfilm.com, empire.com, legit sites. The character that came up on most lists of that needed their own spinoff was Brick Tamland. Mm. That's that's Steve Carell's character from Anchorman. That was, <laughs> that's pretty much if if you look online, that's the one that the majority of people feel needs his own spinoff. So whether that ever happens remains to be seen. But like as I said, uh, you know, we've talked about some characters that uh, you know would make great movies. But what about some, like potentially Jennifer Garner in that god-awful Electra movie, what are some uh, films that we should avoid? Does anybody have, does, you know, out there, does anyone have a character that should never have his own or her own movie? Enrico Palazzo. You gotta be <laughs> fucking kidding me! That was one of my picks, too! Oh, shut up! I swear to God! I, I have it written down here. The guy who says, in Naked Gun, Hey, look, it's Enrico Palazzo. Palazzo. So wait, are you saying you, Enrico Palazzo shouldn't, or the guy that yelled that shouldn't have a No, the guy book? who yelled that shouldn't. Oh, see, I was saying Enrico Palazzo. Oh, the word I, totally just, I was going to use it as one of my jokes when you said, do you have someone? I was going to say, yes, Enrico Palazzo. <laughs> but Christian legitimately has something even more obscure, that yes. it's the guy that says that line. We don't even know his name. I know the actor, though. I remember the actor. He's like uh, Pee Wee Herman's nemesis in the first movie. You know, he's the, the one he fights with in the big bathtub. Never mind. <laughs> well, yes, I, you know, let, if any Hollywood studios and executives are listening, don't make a movie about that son bitch. All right? No, but my other uh, my other choice for a character that they should never make a spinoff movie uh, is uh, Martin Short's uh, portrayal of the wedding planner. From both of those uh, Father of the Fucking Bride movies. Oh, my God. (laughs) Those scenes alone were fucking, like, terrible to sit through. Could you imagine fucking 90 minutes of that? Oh, my God. My wife loves the shit out of those freaking movies and, of course, loves those portrayals. But, like, an entire freaking movie, I'm going, don't get me wrong. I love Martin Short, but that fucking Mm -hmm. character fucking is, like, nails in my eyes would be more welcome. You know what I mean? Uh, Dury, do you got one? Um... Yeah, I uh, I was thinking of Gunnery Sergeant Hartman, played by R. Lee Ermey from Full Metal Jacket. He's the uh, the drill sergeant. <laughs> oh, here's, but uh, that's in Andrew's brain right now. <laughs> yeah. so, You've never heard that. so much yelling for two hours. <laughs> but if he was in like uh, it had to be like a, a PG thirteen film, so like no swearing or something. Because it would basically just, you're completely neutering the character then. Like, I just looked at his quotes on IMDb and like, I don't think I could pull one just to repeat on this podcast that's family friendly at all. Yeah, like you'd like to see him in the new Spy Kids movie and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see him at the, the dinner table of his family. You know, his like wife is some fucking curmudgeon and he's probably got three kids and they're all just, you will pass me the motherfucking ketchup, you motherfucking shit. It would be like, it'd be, it'd be worse than the fucking Eddie Murphy clumps movie or whatever the hell that was. And all the kids have brush cuts, even the girls. <laughs> So he's in this movie, but he's not allowed to swear. That's the thing. 
And he keeps finding right. himself in these situations or he where he wants to swear. Or he won't inherit his mother-in-law's store. <laughs> Comedy. Right itself. <laughs> you know, I, uh, another bad one that I, that I had down here is Ruby Rod. So that is, if anyone doesn't recognize that character name, that's Chris Tucker's terribly annoying character from The Fifth Element. Oh, yes. Oh. Holy shit. I remember when I saw that movie, I, I saw it in the theater. Uh, I remember watching that, and this is way before anyone knew who Chris Tucker was, or way before he made the, you know, a movie with Jackie Chan, which seems to be all he does now, is uh, I remember going, wow, what? The movie just screeched to, a like, a halt. Like, what the fuck is this? I He screams, he looks, t- his character design is terrible. I, I didn't, you know, I, I, did, I didn't know what to make of this character. I didn't know if, I mean, was he homosexual? Was he, I know he was flamboyant. I didn't know, I mean, I was he attracted I, I, but repulsed? Yeah. I think that was the whole point, though. He was kind of like this kind of super pseudo Super future super superstar, you know what I mean? Like, what would be what would be the fucking like the crazy ass freaking media star of the future? And apparently, it's that fucking guy. Okay, then that's a clever little you know uh, idea to pl- to place from in a future film. But could you imagine him as a central character in a goddamn movie? And to make it even worse, imagine his sidekick is Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> <laughs> I know, getting dirty ass trunk. Nobody. <laughs> and it's a musical. <laughs> oh. uh, and, Andrew, do, do you have a, a shitty fucking spinoff idea? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Every idea I ever have is shitty. No, I meant, uh, but spin-off. actually, and when, the way I was saying that was a character that shouldn't be. So you should be giving us a shitty one. Yeah, not your normal, a, your usual shitty answers, though. Just, we'll see what? if your shitty answer is shitty. Why don't we just ask Andrew, what would be a good character? Oh, <laughs> I was going to say, uh, Lotney Sloth Fratelli from the Goonies. You know, the guy with his head all sideways. No, I didn't. <laughs> It would probably be a touching love story in the vein of the notebook. <laughs> kind of like the mask. <laughs> and of course, all these fans of John Matuzak are crying right now because he like can never cry. Or like the role. mask. Mask. Okay. <laughs> you mean with like Cher and that Eric Stoltz with a head that was like seven was feet that long? Eric Stoltz? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, all this time I <laughs> thought that kid was real. <laughs> Shit, I thought you were talking about Sloth just be... from. I, I am talking, talking about, about Sloth. Sloth from Goonies. Yes, that's who I'm talking about. But uh, we're saying hit, Sloth's that, movie hey, would kind of be like Mask. Oh, sorry, I missed the segue there. I apologize. Wake up. We're doing a podcast here. Hey, anyone want a beer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Andrew, that's a pretty bad one because probably wouldn't even be coherent English in that film. It would be him and uh, the guy from Young Frankenstein who plays Frankenstein. Peter Boyle. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a musical as well. Yes. All right, guys, so I think that's going to do it for the episode on movie spinoffs. That was a lot of fun. So before we wrap up here, why don't we get into our Atomic Picks. That's right, the Atomic Picks. And let's start with Christian Nielsen. Oh, 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 um, Atomic Picks. I have a couple. Uh, My first Atomic Pick is more of a shout-out and a thank you uh, to uh, CT from a Nerd Lunch. I don't know if uh, any of you uh, Atomic Geeks fans have noticed on the Twitter 
or on our Facebook page. But uh, for those who don't know, I am uh, currently living with a pregnant woman who is basically going to be very soon uh, be giving birth to one of the future leaders of our planet. And uh, CT uh, was nice enough to have his wife make a onesie that says "Atomic Geeks in Training" on it, as well as a bib oh, that a bib that says "This is my uh, Superman cape," or, but it's turned backwards. Um, I'm funny. not explaining. She it. sent me the same thing. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not explaining it correctly, but if you go to our Facebook uh, page, you can see uh, the link that shows the pictures, uh, or you can go to uh, CT's wife's website, uh, which is called uh, Stitched by Janay, J-A-N-A-Y. Needless to say, I am flabbergasted by uh, both of their generosity, and uh, be, you know, stay tuned for pictures of uh, my progeny wearing uh, said bib and onesie. Uh, uh, my second atomic pick, or should I say, uh, what the heck was that? Just start again. I'm going to start again. My second atomic pick, or should I say more along the lines of my atomic pan, is a book. Uh, uh, a few episodes ago uh, on, the, on the, the, the topic was Geek Projects, I talked about how I, I was playing with the fact that I might want to start reading some Stephen King, because uh, I have not read any Stephen King before. Well, that has changed. Uh, I have read Stephen King. I may have not made the most perfect choice by starting with this book, but I did. Uh, his latest book that's out right now uh, called Blockade Billy wasn't too impressed, so to speak. I mean, I know this is a sh- it's a short story, and there's another short story in two that's equally not as good. Um, I know he's done a hell of a lot more better with other books, but this was in the store. It was 25% off, so I said, what the hell? Uh, but needless to say, it's a story about baseball. I don't like baseball to begin with, but I was expecting some kind of like horrific twist on baseball. That didn't happen either. So needless to say, Blockade Billy by Stephen King, uh, not one of my favorites. <laughs> Andrew Bloom. Um, just a quick update, uh, as mostly to DJ, but everyone else, I'm reading Green Lantern, The Blackest Night. I'm getting very close to the end. It is quite excellent. I haven't been a big uh, comic book superhero fan for a while, and uh, this has probably converted me. So now I'm becoming more and more geeky as this goes on. Uh, the other thing I want to I want to throw out there, my other atomic pick, is a website that was recommended to me by uh, one of our listeners. It is stumbleupon.com. Now, basically, this is a website where you can put in your uh, different interests, and through that. They'll combine them and find websites that are catered to you. I, I'm just s- starting to scratch the surface on it and, and, and see what you get, but you can put in things like music, pies in the face, and uh, grandmas, and you get Mike DiGiovanni's website. It's uh, it's really cool. <laughs> Mike DiGiovanni is a website? <laughs> Apparently. i got to check that out. <laughs> and uh, and our guest, Mark Dury. Um. Well, I'm going to do a shameless plug for a second here, just uh, because it relates to what my actual pick is. Um, but if you go to this week's uh, Atomic Geeks uh, comment thread, you'll see a link that I'll post for a short video that I posted on YouTube. <coughs> excuse me, called Snub Fighter, where I re-edited the ending of Star Wars: A New Hope, and uh, I think it's pretty funny. Um, everyone that's seen it seems to think it's pretty funny. Hated um, it. Hated it. Thank you. Um, but 
as I've been kind of trying to get it out there in the world, you know, and, and uh, get some other sites to pick it up and, uh, you know, share the love, I've come across this other guy on YouTube. Now, his name is One Minute Galactica, and I'll post a link to his stuff on the comments as well. But if you just want to go on YouTube and do a search for Star Wars Longest Crash Ever, this guy makes some of the funniest shit I've seen on YouTube. He just takes little moments from Star Wars or uh, Superman and just completely pulls them apart, turns them inside out, and makes them really hilarious. So this video that, that has nearly 200,000 hits on, on YouTube, he takes Red Leader's moment where he goes to crash after he gets shot down by Darth Vader at the end of Star Wars, and he just turns it into this kind of like 40-second death scene where like this what should have been just like a one second crash is just everyone getting very uncomfortable and awkward listening to this guy go hurdling to his death and <laughs> if you go to his page he has dozens of things like that and if you're a star wars fan there is a lot to find and love so check out one minute galactica on youtube i'll have to say Derry really quickly just interrupting there uh i i stumbled upon that one looking at your video and he's got some very very funny stuff on there yeah. Yep. No, and, I, and, and you know, I will also do a quick plug, though, Dury. The, the Snub Fighter video that you did is very funny and very clever. We actually uh, tweeted about that and put it on the AtomicGeeks.com, so take a look at it. Uh, in terms of uh, another Atomic pick from myself, I mentioned earlier that I hadn't had a chance to, re to read Sin City. You know, as I've matured as a comic book reader, I've, I've kind of gone back and said, I've got to go and read all the classics, you know, which I maybe didn't read in my youth. So, you know, having read Watchmen, Dark Knight, uh, you know, Kingdom Come, all uh, Sandman and all the goods, what was left? Well, Archie. I've got to read Archie. No, what, what was left? So I finally embarked on Alan Moore's Swamp Things. Uh, I, I've actually gone and decided this is one of those, uh, you know, quintessential series that Michael DiGiovanni has never read. I bought uh, a few of the trades. I've completed the first trade. And let me tell you, really good stuff. Definitely, uh, you know, you can see where Sandman and pretty much all of Vertigo Comics was influenced from uh, with Swamp Thing. It's the the art is so dated. I hate to say that. It's 1980. The color, you know, I'm a fucking... Uh, you know, unfortunately, I'm a sucker for the coloring and, you know, now and I'm a slave to the way the the, the books look nowadays. Uh, so it's hard sometimes to go back and read the comics from the early 80s. But if you can get past that, Steve Bissett and John Totalbone are pretty good artists. But really, it's the, the, the story what Alan Moore is kind of creating here and really creating an entire publishing imprint is pretty damn impressive. So, uh going to continue to read that. But if you've never taken a look at some of those early fucking comic gems, especially like Mr. Moore's uh, Swamp Thing, they're all available in trade paperback for you to enjoy. So that's going to do it for us for the Atomic Geeks episode 73. Just want to thank our, uh, you know, our reliable guest, Mark, for coming out again. Thanks again, Mark. My pleasure, guys. Anytime. And uh, we believe that uh, Mike Downs will be uh, back joining us next week for episode 74 when Christian Nielsen takes the hosting chair. Christian, what are we going to be talking about? 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, we will be returning to the Atomic Geek Super Fight Dome. Oh, my God. Can't wait to be a part of that. Yes. Uh, so, uh, all right, guys. So, uh, you know, like always, I'm going to do out the callouts. You can get a hold of us on all the social medias. We are on Facebook. Search for the Atomic Geeks. We are on Twitter uh, as well. And, you know, you can come to theatomicgeeks.com. That is our home. That is our baby. Uh, you know, all of the information on, on all of the episodes are always put up there. And as well as other inf- interesting little information like Mark Dury's Snub Fighter was put up there. And you get a chance to also interact with some of the other fans. If you do listen to our show via iTunes, for the love of all things holy, leave us a review. We love it. So much. So this is Michael DiGiovanni for the rest of the Atomic Geeks signing off. The Atomic Geeks out. You've just listened to another episode of the Atomic Geeks. Visit us at theatomicgeeks.com. Production by Andrew Bloom. Title track by Don't Look Down. And how did it? You know, your father gave me that watch to carry in my ass. <laughs> so uncomfortable for that many years. Like, I thought that would be funny. An excuse to do Christopher Walken. That's all I can do is Christopher Walken. And every time I try and do Rambo or, or Sylvester Stallone, it comes out like Arnold Schwarzenegger.